Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When Diplomacy Fails presents The July Crisis Anniversary Project A day-by-day account of the events that occurred 100 years ago Reactions Today is the 29th of June 2014 and around this point in history 100 years ago, occurred the following events. Konrad von Hotzendorf, Austria's military chief of staff, hopped on a train at Sarajevo to Croatia at 10.30pm on the 27th of June 1914. It was the last time he would see Franz Ferdinand alive. By noon the next day, Conrad was told the terrible news while passing through Zagreb, and received an official telegram from Vienna hours later, which confirmed the death of the Austrian heir and his wife. Conrad was already perceptive enough, or angry enough, to jump to conclusions regarding the assassination, as he believed even at this early stage, when details were at their sketchiest, that Gavrilo Princip could not have worked alone. Believing the act to be the result of a wider Serbian conspiracy, Conrad sent a telegram to his emperor, Franz Josef, in Vienna, and asked if he should cancel his planned manoeuvres in Croatia, and instead return to Vienna. Franz Josef agreed, and that evening, Conrad boarded the train to Vienna, by that time the most sombre city in Europe. Ever since the first Bosnian crisis of 1908-09, in which Austria annexed the region of Bosnia-Herzegovina into its empire, Conrad had been urging that Austria crush the Serbs. In 1913 alone, it has been recorded that he suggested war with Serbia 25 times. Extremely belligerent, Conrad was a wiry, perhaps even sinewy man, with the energy to reform that would irk the old Austrian order, but with the same outdated views on the nature of war that would also please them. He owed his appointment to Franz Ferdinand personally, who saw Conrad as an essential source of new blood that Austria's creaky armed forces so needed. In many ways, the reliable war hawk of the story of the July crisis, Conrad is one of those individuals who you hear about portrayed in a certain light and feel determined to investigate his character for yourself, since, you reason, he surely can't be that bad. 
After much digging, you then conclude that sometimes historical profiles exist for a reason, and that Conrad was indeed as hawkish, belligerent, and forceful as the general view of him accepts. The events of the previous years that saw Serbia almost double in size convinced Conrad that Austria must take action now, and the death of Ferdinand only left him feeling more justified in his views. Crushing Serbia had long been his aim, and time was, Conrad believed, rapidly running out to exert Austrian influence in the region before either Serbia or its great power backer Russia became uncontainable. The death of the Archduke did not give him pause for thought, it merely vindicated the existence of the anti-Austrian conspiracy that Conrad saw in all Slavic dealings, and that he was determined to combat by war. On the 28th of June, 1914, Kaiser Wilhelm II, Emperor of the German Empire, was racing his yacht at Kiel on a Sunday afternoon when a small boat approached. Not wanting to stop his race, Wilhelm attempted to wave the small vessel away, but its captain, Admiral Jörg von Müller, Chief of the German Naval Cabinet, waved back, gesturing that he had an urgent message for the Kaiser and urged him to slow down. The Emperor acquiesced. From a distance, Müller placed the note inside a cigarette box and tossed it onto the Kaiser's ship. Wilhelm opened it and turned pale. His good friend and ally Franz Ferdinand was dead, shot it seemed by a lunatic rumoured to have Serbian masters. It was a devastating blow to the German Kaiser. Wilhelm, something of a social misfit himself, had made a point of establishing firm relations with the Habsburg couple, and managed to overcome the Habsburg's family's disapproval of the marriage, and the numerous obstacles they put in Franz Ferdinand's way by, for example, seating everyone at tables of four during official banquets or friendly get-togethers. This ensured that the Kaiser and his wife would be able to sit with the heir and Sophie without any troublesome Austrian statesmen getting in the way. Wilhelm always called on Sophie when he was in Vienna, and deliberately addressed her by her royalties, unlike her family members-in-law. In short, Wilhelm's treatment of the somewhat downcast couple was better than anything Franz Ferdinand could have hoped for. Wilhelm wished to cultivate the friendship for practical reasons too. Franz Josef, Austrian Emperor since 1848, was not expected to live much longer. And when he died, it would be Franz and Wilhelm who would control Austro-German relations. The two had discussed European politics and its finer points on numerous occasions, and rarely came to disagreement with the issue of the Hungarian minister-president, Stefan Tisa, being the one exception. Franz had been Wilhelm's anchor. He had steadied him and been a source of reassurance in the face of Russian concerns. And the plans they had could, they believed, have a chance in defusing the Balkan power keg that threatened to set Europe ablaze. In contrast to the German Kaiser, the event of the 28th of June was greeted with far less emotion in Paris. The French president, Raymond Poincaré, refrained either to leave his seat or discuss the wider implications of the event while he attended the races in the Bois de Boulogne. French newspapers were far more occupied with their own political scandals to grant space to a high-profile murder miles away. President Poincaré was planning for his upcoming summit with the Russian Tsar in July, but he had to face challenges from France's republican system that seemed to result in a new election every year. One of France's previous prime ministers had been investigated by a high-profile journalist, and when that journalist was shot dead by the politician's wife, the French papers ignited as they awaited the trial. 
the left-right split of French politics largely affected the nature of France's foreign policy. That is, whether it would be in favour of Russian entrenchment or German reconciliation. But it was this same political competition that overshadowed events in Sarajevo, with news of the assassination barely making it to the third page of the papers. And even then, with little insight as to where such events would lead. In contrast, London was set alight by the news, and information about the assassination made front-page headlines on Monday the 29th of June, with the complex relationship between Franz Joseph and Franz Ferdinand, as well as the doomed marriage of Ferdinand with Sophie, capturing the imagination of Britain's reading public. A small downturn in the London stock market even resulted on that Monday morning, as investors feared the implications or the possibility of British involvement in Balkan affairs. By Tuesday the 30th, though, the news had been mostly forgotten in the media, with the story being pushed back to page 7, even in the worldly Times newspaper. One wonders how the papers found space for such foreign news, since British politicians and citizens alike were duly concerned with the Irish situation unfolding on the United Kingdom's other island. Friction between those loyalists who wish to remain ruled by Britain and nationalists who wish to see the proposed Home Rule Bill passed at last, which would give Ireland a parliament based in Dublin, threatened a civil war as political parties within Britain backed either side. The preoccupation and relative disinterest of Paris and London in the assassination was not necessarily surprising. Certainly it wasn't news to Austria's foreign minister, Count Leopold von Berchtold, himself another critical figure of the July crisis, who would have been well aware of British unwillingness to get involved in a war in the Balkans, just as he would have been aware of French failures to back Russia in that theatre in the Bosnian crisis of 1908-09. Though an intelligent, well-mannered and highly agreeable man, Berchtold was viewed as one who dreaded making tough decisions and he had in fact been the Emperor's third choice for the position of Foreign Minister in 1912. It was in 1912 that he had made his name though, since during that year occurred the redefining of Austria's Balkan neighbourhood. The Balkan Wars, which lasted during the two years before our narrative and resulted in the aforementioned strengthening of Serbia, was kept localised partly by the Austrian Peace Party. This peace party included the Emperor, Berchtold and the late Archduke, who blocked the urges of Conrad and his war party to intervene in the conflict and destroy Serbian power. For this reason, Berchtold was seen by those in Austrian military circles, particularly by the Chief of Staff Conrad, as a civilian administrator who was infecting Austrian policy with timidity and weakness at a time when it needed to be strong. Berchtold was stunned by the news of his friend's death and after taking some time to compose himself, boarded a train to Vienna on Sunday afternoon, June 28th. Coming on the day of celebrations that immortalised the Serb struggle against the Ottoman Empire, and that mourned slash celebrated the 625th anniversary of Serbia's defeat at the hands of the Ottomans, but also of the tenacious killing by a Serb of the Ottoman Sultan, crowds of Serbs were said by dignitaries to be crying with joy at the news that their great rival had suffered such a blow. Perhaps this unnerved Serbia's statesman, who didn't want to appear approving or entirely compliant in the events of June 28th, for fear of international condemnation or Russian retreat from their side. 
Most notably, the Serbian Prime Minister, Nikola Pesic, was concerned at the rash action of the conspirators, for he feared it would offend the highly monarchical Russia and lead to an increase in anti-Austrian demonstrations that would inflame opinion. Pesic certainly suspected the extreme elements of Serbia were possible, despite the smokescreen the event left behind, and even at this early stage, is said to have requested a meeting with Dragutin Dmitrievich, the Serbian director of military intelligence, on the ground that the latter was essentially guaranteed to have at least had knowledge of the plot, if that is, the rumours about him were in fact true. Pesic was under no illusion that they were. When Berchtold and Conrad reached their capital city, they would have found the place buzzing with rumour and agitation, mostly because it took some time for the government to confirm what actually happened. Some Viennese believed that the Hungarian minister-president, Stefan Tisza, was responsible for the hit, as Franz Ferdinand and the Hungarian were said to despise each other, and Ferdinand was believed to harbour a desire to change the dual monarchy system that governed Austria-Hungary by pacifying all of its national elements and granting them equal status. Vienna's citizens hadn't much love for the emperor-to-be, but the shock value of having their heir to the throne slain was palpable. A guessing game endured for the time, but most suspected Serbian involvement, and rightly whispered about the deeds of the Serbian Director of Military Intelligence, Dragutin Dmitrievich, proving not just his Prime Minister suspected his moves and reputation. Later investigations would in fact prove that Viennese citizens were not far off the mark. The news of the assassination was delivered to the Emperor Franz Josef on Sunday evening. Though initially speechless, Josef is then said to have coldly attributed the death to divine punishment, owing to Franz Ferdinand's marrying of his unapproved wife. At the Ballplatz, the seat of Austrian government, the mood was far more vengeful and definite. Rumours emerging from the event earlier in the day suggested numerous assassins had been present, and that Serbian tacit involvement, if not direct support, had been responsible for its success. Berchtold told Germany's ambassador to Austria, Heinrich von Czertsky, present at the Ballplatz, that the threads of the conspiracy come together in Belgrade. But for the moment, the German official urged caution, a stance in the minority among the top levels of Austrian government, who eagerly awaited the confirmation that Serbia had been responsible, and that military action would be entirely justifiable. Berchtold claimed that the word war was on everyone's lips. And early the next morning, on Monday the 29th of June, he was confronted with the procession of statesmen, urging him to lobby the Emperor towards the direction of war. Berchtold, as it happened, needed little urging. Stefan Tisza, the Minister-President of Hungary, was used to the placid, calm and relatively harmless Berchtold moseying around the Ballplatz. But after meeting with him that Monday, he was apparently shaken enough to send a telegram to the Emperor informing him that Berchtold intended to make the Sarajevo outrage the occasion for a settlement of accounts with the Serbs. Apparently not used to Berchtold breathing fire, Tisa urged caution and for a time was the only Austrian statesman doing so. His influence on the events of the July crisis would be profound. Stefan Tisa had considerable pull as Hungarian minister-president. As a result of the Compromise of 1867, he was just as important within the Habsburg Empire as Berchtold, if not more so. 
though he had considerably more admiration for Germany, where he had studied and in fact devoted one of his books to Otto von Bismarck in the mid-1890s, Tisa was loyal enough to the Habsburgs to serve the polygot empire faithfully since his posting. A determined, dour, relatively colourless man, Tisa can be considered the virtual polar opposite of Berchtold, the charmer and talker. Tisa was devoted to maintaining Hungary's position within the Habsburg Empire, and he viewed any war as a catastrophe, due to the potential it had to pull in more ethnic groups, in this case those of Serbia's in a war of conquest, and dilute the Hungarian element even further. Talking to Berchtold on Monday the 29th of June, Tisa claimed that war would be a fatal mistake, we have no sufficient grounds for holding Serbia responsible and provoking a war with her. We should appear before the world as disturbers of the peace, and would kindle the fires of a great war in the most unfavourable conditions. That evening, on Monday the 29th, the Chief of Staff Conrad reached Berchtold, and the two began to discuss the issue of retaliation. Unaware that Berchtold had just been visited by Tisa, Conrad expected to have to persuade Berchtold away from pacific measures and push him towards decisive action. Conrad was not in the mood for the kind of standby Berchtold had advocated in the years before. He wanted Austrian mobilisation against Serbia set for Wednesday, July 1st, two days away. Berchtold, perhaps taking on board part of what Tisa said, now reasoned that the Austrian people would have to be prepared for such action and that it would be better to send an ultimatum demanding Serbia dissolve its secret agencies and fire its chief of military intelligence, Dmitry Evich whom the Austrians strongly suspected to be involved. Conrad argued that such diplomacy would achieve nothing, since Serbia would feign compliance and then carry on as before. Nothing will have the slightest effect but the use of force, Conrad said. Berchtold agreed that the time had come for a reckoning with Serbia. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
but explained that he would need the Emperor's approval before military action was taken. As he left the Ballplatz that night, Conrad uttered his parting words, War, war, war. Germany's ambassador to Austria, Heinrich von Chertsky, had urged caution to the Austrian government on Tuesday the 30th of June. And, in what was the ambassador's first report home to Berlin, he informed the Kaiser what Berchtold has said about the threads of conspiracy coming together in Belgrade, and how there must be a final settlement of accounts with the Serbs. Ambassador Heinrich believed that he was instructing Austria towards a sensible policy. There could be no moving against Serbia, wherein proof of their responsibility did not exist. Heinrich would also have been mindful of Wilhelm's previous policy vis-à-vis the Balkans, that of calming the Serbs and making friendly with Romania, both of which Franz Ferdinand was meant to aid Germany with. What Heinrich didn't realise, though, was that Wilhelm at that very moment was in a fit of grief-stricken rage over the loss of his friend, and just like before, such moods often resulted in irrational outbursts. This time, Wilhelm rebuked Heinrich for urging calm, and he hastily scribbled the following on the official dispatch of that Tuesday. This is utterly stupid. It is not his business what Austria intends to do. Later on, if things went wrong, it would be said that Germany was not willing. Chersky will please drop this nonsense. Manners must be cleared up with the Serbs, and that right soon. That's all self-evident and plain truth. It was a knee-jerk reaction, but it would have been exactly what Berchtold had been looking for if he had only known about it. Wilhelm was well known for these kinds of outbursts, and it was Berchtold's hope that he could use one of them to appease Tisa and gain German support for his plan of retaliation if he managed to corner the Kaiser at Franz Ferdinand's funeral, planned for that Friday on the 3rd of July. Austria would never have felt so in need of German approval, or have been so politically divided at home, had Serbia not been backed by Russia. Serbia was Russia's concrete ally in the Balkans. During the Balkan Wars of before, Russia had watched her ally get stronger to the detriment of the Ottomans, and then to Austria. Though it was Serbia that Conrad wished to extinguish, it was Russia that he truly feared. While the Hungarian minister-president, Tisa, believed that in the event of a war with Serbia, Germany would abandon Austria and Russia would move against the Habsburgs, Conrad and increasingly Berchtold believed it would be the reverse. Russia, Conrad upheld, would not fight, just like she had not fought when Bosnia was annexed in 1909, and just like she had not fought when the Balkans were set alight in the previous two years. On the 28th of June, when news reached Belgrade of the assassination, the Russian ambassador to Serbia, Nikolai Hartwig, was heard by an Italian diplomat to have exclaimed aloud that he hoped it was not a Serb that was responsible. Hartwig, in this case, was believed by said diplomat to have possessed a certain level of sarcasm when making the exclamation, and that night he played bridge with the Italian and confessed his real views about the event in Sarajevo. It was difficult for Austria to like Nikolai Hartwig. The pan-Slavic Russian ambassador had perhaps done more to solidify the relationship with Serbia and offend Austrian sensibilities in his tenure of office than any other man in his position. 
While other capitals and diplomats sent out their deepest condolences, as trained state representatives tended to do, the Russian embassy in Belgrade declined to fly its flag at half-mast, even during the actual funeral procession on Friday the 3rd of July. Hartwig was said to be behind such a petty act, as well as remarking that the death of Franz Ferdinand presented Russia with great opportunities, since the Austrian dynasty is an exhausted race. Nikola Pesic, the Serbian Prime Minister, was said to be a major adherent to Hartwig's policy. Yet, though he had heeded Hartwig's advice to press ahead with the Serbian war plans during the Balkan Wars of 1912, Pesic had also tried to warn the Austrian government of the possibility of an attack against their Archduke in the month of June. This seemingly helpful act was hoped by Pesic to defuse the situation and prevent a crisis when Serbia was weakened after its expenditure of materials and men coming at the end of the Balkan Wars. However, Habsburg officials did not heed Pesic's warnings, and their record was later swept under the rug by those who didn't want the fact that Austria had been warned by its enemy to lessen the impact of the assassination. It was also immensely embarrassing for many Habsburg statesmen who had ignored the advice, only now to be faced with the situation that Pesic had forewarned. Pesic was in no illusions about Serbia's position. It was supported and reinforced by Russian money and materials, and it would cease to exist without them. Vienna was not entirely sure whether Hartwig resembled general Russian opinion or not, but either way the issue remained, and was later reinforced by documents supplied by Pesic, that those in the Serbian government, and some in Russia, were at least vaguely aware of a plot against the Austrian Archduke in June, yet they had done little to prevent such a plot a telling fact for the Austrian Emperor Franz Josef. Berchtold was essentially the man in the middle in the last days of June 1914. While Conrad viewed the previous years of Austrian inaction as directly contributing to Serbia's daring to challenge its supremacy in the Balkans, culminating in the assassination, he also viewed the opportunity for Austria to respond as the final test of Austrian strength. Failure to act would fragment the Habsburg Empire, as it would confirm to its minorities that the empire was incapable of maintaining a position of strength or fighting for its interests. Berchtold agreed with this view, but confessed to the emperor on Tuesday the 30th of June that he wasn't completely sure what to do. Action, the foreign minister believed, must be taken, but one must gather the facts first. Once news of Serbian guilt or innocence arrived, then Austrian high command could plan its next move. Franz Josef agreed with this view of caution, and, while it wasn't the completely pacific direction that Stefan Tiso wanted, he was content to wait and see as well. The next few days or even hours will be critical for Austrian decision-making, as the assassins were facing interrogation, and were expected to reveal the nature of their mission soon. In any event, on Wednesday the 1st of July, Conrad returned to visit Berchtold in the Ballplatz to see if the foreign minister had made any decisions regarding Austrian action. It was here that Berchtold informed Conrad of Tease's opposition to the war plans, and that the Hungarian feared Germany would abandon Austria and leave her to face Russia and Serbia alone. Conrad admitted that German aid in the event was crucial, if only to give confidence to Austria's neighbours that Austria was serious, and added that without this help, our hands would be tied. Berchtold, relieved that he had shared some common ground with the Chief of Staff, agreed with this view, and also noted his concern that Romania, who Vienna had been attempting to court in the Balkans, 
may not support Austrian action without German tacit approval. Then Berchtold revealed a memo that in fact mostly been the work of Tisa in the months before. Within the memo, intended for German eyes, plans proposing co-opting Romania, Bulgaria and the Ottomans into a triple alliance were outlined. Berchtold presented this to Conrad though as his own plan, and along the line of thinking that, with such a six-way alliance in place, the Russians wouldn't dare to aid their Serbian ally in the event of an Austrian confrontation with her. Berchtold was well aware that Tisa had wished to bring Germany closer to Austria within the Balkan sphere, and that the Hungarian was pressing for the Germans to pursue a more active Balkan policy. Thus, Tisa was pressing for Berchtold to use the event of the assassination as an opportunity to expand the Triple Alliance and bring Germany closer into Austria's Balkan confidence. Conrad seemed to approve of this strategy also, but whereas Tisa believed it could be used to prevent a war in the region, Conrad wanted to actually use this increase in strength that the plan would grant Austria to act against Serbia. Berchtold was thus determined to use both men's ideas. He would utilise Tisa's peace plan memo that he'd essentially plagiarised and presented to Conrad, but he would present it to the Germans as a means of effectively strengthening Austria and launching the war that Conrad wanted. The memo was expected to be presented to the German Emperor when he arrived for the event of Franz Ferdinand's funeral on Friday the 3rd of July. The German Emperor was known to be emotional and impetuous by his friends. If Berchtold could use this chance to exact German promises and agreements from the Kaiser while he grieved and fumed over his friend's death, then perhaps Berchtold could acquire the security he wanted, the war Conrad desired, and the peace plan Tisa developed all at once. On Wednesday the 1st of July, Franz Josef had received a note from Tisa informing the Emperor of his opposition to the war and to take into account the difficult nature of assigning blame, as well as the dangers of taking rash action when it came to the Balkans. The next day, on the Thursday the 2nd of July, Josef was confessing to the German ambassador, Chertsky, that he was not sure how much longer things could remain calm in the Balkans. He also hoped that the ambassador would inform his sovereign just how much he hoped that the German Kaiser Wilhelm II would appreciate the danger posed to the dual monarchy by the presence of Serbia as a neighbour. Franz Josef pointed to Russia's ambassador to Serbia, resident in Belgrade, Nikolai Hartwig, as pulling the strings of Serbian politics, and confessed that he was alarmed by the planned Russian military manoeuvres in the autumn. It is significant that the emperor sought to confide not in his own ministers, but through an indirect line to Germany, Austria's only ally. Certainly, the Emperor could rely on the sympathy of Germany in the event of the Archduke's assassination, and the initial anger of Germany's Emperor was in fact in the process of being tapped by Germany's own warhawks. It is interesting to note the concern Austrian officials had for Nikolai Hartwig, since they knew he connected Russia to Serbia and that he was a highly influential politician in Belgrade. Yet, neither Franz Josef nor Berchtold were able to ascertain whether Hartwig stood for Russia in general, or whether Hartwig was mostly a free agent. Certainly, Hartwig did not always heed the advice of the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Sazonov, and had in fact gone against his express orders by pushing Nikola Pesic to plunge Serbia towards the Balkan War in 1912. 
Hartwig was also said to be behind the Balkan League of Greece, Serbia, Bulgaria and Romania that drove the Ottomans out of the Balkans in that same year. Hartwig, in fact, was the favourite of the Russian war party and they longed to replace Sazanov as foreign minister with him. Such a replacement would have radicalised events for sure, but the Russian Tsar, Nicholas II, stuck by Sazanov out of simple loyalty. On the 28th of June, the position of Sazanov was in many ways the same as Berktold. The former was viewed as the man who hadn't taken a strong enough line in the Balkans in the previous years, and as someone who didn't fully appreciate the Slavic motherland mentality that nationalism had heaped upon Russia. Such ideas about Pan-Slavism had a lot to do with the problems of the Balkans and between Austria and Russia, and Sazanov, as the national liberal akin to Berchtold, had been changed from his policy of calm towards one of sternness because of the events there. However, just like Conrad didn't trust Berchtold to do what was necessary, the Warhawks in Russia did not believe Sazanov had the stomach to march in the name of its principles, such as those in the Balkans. Sazanov reacted badly to a conversation he had had with the Austrian legation in St. Petersburg on Thursday the 2nd of July. In this case, the Austrian official was covering for the ambassador who was on leave, and though he noted that Sazanov expressed his condolences, Russian opinion generally upheld the false view that Franz Ferdinand had hated Russia, and many believed that by his assassination Russia had been saved from a difficult enemy. The relationship between this temporary Austrian diplomat and Sazanov would only worsen over the weekend, as more details and news from Vienna began to filter into the Austrian embassy in the Russian capital. The funeral of Franz Ferdinand and his wife was held in a sombre ceremony on Friday the 3rd of July 1914. Coming five days after the assassination, the minimalist ceremony did not even contain the critical figure of the German Kaiser Wilhelm II. Thus, Berchtold would not be able to approach him in private and sound out his feelings regarding Austrian action. Publicly, Wilhelm didn't attend because he complained of severe back pain. But privately, Germany's Chancellor Theobald Bethmann Hallweg informed Franz Josef via telegram that I have been obliged to request His Majesty the Kaiser to abandon his trip to Vienna. This was done, the German Chancellor explained, on the grounds that the Austrians were not viewed as competent enough to secure the funeral from further terrorist attacks. This reasoning, while not stated this bluntly in the telegram in question, was still a damning critique of Austrian capabilities. Though its allusion to further attacks and malicious elements opened the door to a possible German understanding regarding the threat that the assassination posed to Austrian prestige. However, even on the 3rd of July, Austria, and so its ally Germany, did not fully know for sure who was responsible for the heinous act on the 28th of June. It was thus something of a reflection of Austrian diplomacy that, faced with such a grave challenge to her honour, her options five days later remained essentially to wait and see what the continuing investigation turned up. Even by that stage, though, efforts were already underway to secure German approval for Austrian action with, or indeed without, the proof of guilt within the Serbian party. Though the assassinations of the Archduke and his wife greeted every European power differently, soon all would come to see its significance. 
While Europe was distracted and divided in its interpretation of the event, and while the implications of it were viewed differently at the time, an observant statesman would have noted that it was a watershed moment for Austria-Hungary. If she acted in the name of vengeance, she would face the consequences of a confused alliance system that dated back years to the beginning of the 20th century. However, if she did nothing and allowed the event to pass without issue, then Austrian officials feared that the European perception of Austria as the second sick man of Europe would be validated, and that, far from being safe from conflict, its emboldened nationalities would rip it apart from within. It was this implosion that some determined Austrian statesmen sought to avoid by furthering their relationship with Germany, and ensuring that once the moment for decision came, the Habsburg Empire could be confident that its ally would stand by it, for better or for worse. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 